Hello, this is Rabbi Rafael Davidovich. I said that I wanted to make a recording once a day, and so I'm trying to fulfill that semi-promise by speaking with you now. It is the night before Erev Yom Kippur, and I would like to share with you what I shared with the people in Shul on the first day of Rosh Hashanah before Tekiah's Shofar. You might say that it's Rosh Hashanah relevant and not Yom Kippur relevant, but I promise you that anything that is relevant to Rosh Hashanah is relevant to Yom Kippur as well. So even if you were actually in Shul on Rosh Hashanah, I think it would be good to review this idea now in preparation for Yom Kippur. So on Rosh Hashanah, before Tikkiah's Shofar, I spoke about the Haftorah. The Haftorah is the story of Chana. Chana, the story is the first chapter or two of the Sefer Shmuel Aleph, first book of Samuel, which speaks about how Chana was a childless woman. She was married to a righteous man named Elkanah, who would go and visit the Mishkan in Shiloh, it says, once a year. And he, and uh, our rabbis say that he would encourage others to come to Shiloh as well. The Kohen Godel at the time was Eli HaKohen, and Eli was <coughs> the one who, with together with his sons, Chafni and Pinchas, ran the Mishkan. They ran the temple in Shiloh. If you take a look at the Haftarah, and if you would like, I would encourage you to actually open up a Machzer, or open up a Tanakh, and to look up the story yourself, the Haftarah of the first day of Rosh Hashanah. And there we find something not only interesting, but the Gemara's comments on it are even more interesting. And that is that we read about how Hannah, who was the childless wife of Elkanah, his first wife, and when she could not have children, he took a second wife, Penina, and he loved Hannah as his primary wife. And because of the difficulties of her infertility, Hannah took the step of making her own prayers, praying alone in the Mishkan, and Eli, sitting at the gateway to the Mishkan, saw her crying and praying silently and thought it was so unusual that he thought she was drunk. And he goes over to her and he criticizes her and says, Listen, you have to turn away from the booze. This isn't right. And she says, No, my master, I am not drunk. I am just a woman of broken spirit, pouring my heart out. And he says, so may Hashem give you what it is that you ask for. The rabbis have a fascinating twist on this story, in which they say that Eli consulted the Urim Vitumim, the special Choshen Mishpat, the breastplate that he carried as part of his vestments, and the letters Chaf Shin Reish Hei lit up on the breastplate, and he interpreted it as meaning Shikora, that this woman is drunk. When in fact, he should have read it either as Kisara, that this woman is like Sara Imenu, our matriarch Sara, or it means Kashera, that she is kosher, that she is a good, righteous woman. So that is why he approached her, and then she corrected him, he then gave her a blessing, and then she went, and when she went home, she got pregnant and had a baby, Shmuel. So I ask, why does this story have to happen with such a significant and unusual misunderstanding? Given that we daven nowadays, meaning the halachos of Shmona Esrei, 
how a Jew davens the private prayer, the Shemona Esrei, are all learned from the Gemara, they're all derived in the Gemara and Brachos, from Chana's prayer. So if the rabbis saw value in the way that Chana prayed to God, how is it that Eli had such a significant misunderstanding? And why did the story have to happen with this kind of misunderstanding? You might say, look, misunderstandings are what make all stories interesting. But it doesn't have to be a misunderstanding. You can have a conflict. Why did it have to be a misunderstanding of such a nature? So, borrowing from the thoughts of a friend of mine who lives in Israel, who has actually worked on this story for many, many years, his name is Rabbi Eli Fisher, if you want to look him up, I shared the following. I said, what's happening here is there's much more than meets the eye. After all, why would Eli consult the Choshen Mishpat, his special oracle of the breastplate of judgment <coughs> to judge such a small case of this woman who's praying wouldn't you think not wouldn't you think don't you understand if you look at any other time that the Choshen is used to figure out God's will that it's only in cases of some sort of national crisis where there's a national question the king or the national government or national army has a question so they consult the high priest the high priest is just using it to find out, hey, what's that lady doing over there? That doesn't seem like the way that this tool is used. So what we have over here, the approach that I'd like to share with you, and this will then lead into how we should think about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, is that Khan was doing something extremely innovative at the time. Because, as it says, Eli was sitting at the gate, the entrance to the Mishkan. Basically, he was the gatekeeper. The way that Elkanah, that's Hannah's husband, and the way that Eli understood the way that a Jew connects to the Holy One, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is nationally, by being a Jew, by being a member of the Jewish people, you connect to the Tzibur, you connect to the community of Klal Yisrael and the community institutions of Klal Yisrael, in this case the Mishkan and the Kohanim, and that is a Jew's vehicle to plead and to ask for God's blessing. For a Jew to see himself just as a single individual who can connect independently, who has his own plug to connect into the socket, to speak with Hashem directly, is something that was simply not done. Not that a Jew couldn't pray individually, but this was not the vehicle for Hashem's blessings to the Jewish people. Hashem blesses His people Israel, Hamvarech es Amo Yisrael Bashalom, through the mechanism of Amo Yisrael, being a member of the Jewish people. And as such, the right way for Hannah to have a child was by the praying that comes with the bringing of Karbanos, not to create some sort of separate independent service. This is the way that Eli saw it. So when Eli saw this woman davening by herself, if you will, to use sort of like a modern mushal, it would have been the way that nowadays an Orthodox rabbi would look at someone who's trying to create some sort of, you know, independent service outside of the confines of halacha. I don't want to mention any specific examples. I don't need to get anyone upset, but I think you know what I mean. So that's why he consulted at the Choshen. And Chana is, is doing something which 
is this independent connection. And she explains that because she's broken hearted, so she, her heart is telling her she needs to communicate it in this way. And she tells him, according to the Gemara in Brachos, Lo Adoni, which even though literally means no, comma, my master, the Gemara says that Hannah was actually confronting Eli and saying, Lo Adoni, meaning you are not my master. Meaning if you cannot understand that I need to make this personal connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then you are not my master. And what does Eli do? Eli gives her bracha. And it's interesting. He never, he never even asks her what she's praying about. She never offered what she was praying about. Because this was something personal to her. But Eli is just confronted with this. And he says fine. And that's what it means that he judged her harshly. And that now, because he judged her harshly, meaning he was chosheid bikshayrim, meaning suspecting someone of wrongdoing when they have not done anything wrong, meaning she wasn't coming to create some sort of innovated, you know, non-orthodox, non-halachic service. She was just pouring her heart out as a broken-hearted woman. So Eli says, may God grant you your prayer. And it is really that combination of personal prayer and the connection to the national institution, meaning the Kohen Gadol, who represents the Tzibur, the community of Israel, that this child Shmuel is born, who ends up not just being an individual, but be, ends up being a community man, a Neshama Klolis, meaning a national soul, meaning that he is connected to the nation of Israel, to the community of Israel. So what it is that we have to take from this, and there are many levels on which this exists, but I didn't dwell at length on this in shul, and I won't dwell on it at length now. Maybe this will be good for another podcast. Is that what it is that Shmuel is showing us through his conception and birth, and the prayers that went in to making him happen, are that the right way, the correct vehicle for brachos, for God's blessings for us in this world, are that, uh, that come to a Jew as an individual, but also as being a member of the Klal. And we, this is what connects us now to Tikiyas Shofar. Because the interesting halachos of Tikiyas Shofar, as they're explained in the Gemara and as we do it in Shul, are that Tikiyas Shofar, the blowing of the Shofar, is on the one hand an individual mitzvah, meaning an individual Jew should listen to the Shofar in Rosh Hashanah, even if he doesn't go to Shul. So you know there are people who travel and they walk all around asking Jews who weren't able to make it to shul if they'd like to hear shofar. But even though the mitzvah of shofar is an individual's mitzvah, it's obvious from the context of shofar throughout all of Tanakh, the entire Bible, every time the shofar is mentioned, it's clear that the shofar is a call to a community. And this is the way that we have our shofar during Musaf of Rosh Hashanah. First we blow the 30 tekios before Musaf. Those are the 30 tekios that people go to visit people's homes and they blow shofar, the blast of the shofar, to an individual. Because an individual Jew has a mitzvah of hearing tekios uh, shofar on Rosh Hashanah. But then we blow the shofar during the repetition of the Shemona Esrei. And the repetition is something that is not like Hannah's prayer. See, the individual Musaf, a person whispering quietly his prayer to God, that's like Hannah's prayer. When the Chazan davens out loud, that's on behalf of the entire community. And when that happens, and the shofar is blown after Malchios, after Zichronos, after Shofros, all the main components of the Rosh Hashanah Musaf service, 
then that is when we blow shofar as a community. And when we're hearing the tekios and the truos of the shofar as a community. What we need to do, and this is a piece of advice by Rabbi Shal Salanter, is to figure out, both on Rosh Hashanah and by extension also on Yom Kippur, how we should connect throughout the year to Hashem, to be a subject of the king as an individual, but to be part of the subject nation of the king as a community. So as we think about what to do in the year to come, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter says, if you want to be Zoha Badin, meaning if you want to have a good judgment, then what you need to do is figure out how to join, plug in to the Tzibor. Do something for the Tzibor. Do something for the community. This can mean many things. doesn't mean you necessarily have to join the board of your shul, although that's probably a good thing if they need the help, to do something for the community. One person might mean setting up Kiddush. Another person it might mean putting away the Svarim, cleaning up the Svarim, putting out the Machzorim in Shul. When the winter comes and you're in a winter place and you want to shovel some of the snow in front of the Shul. Turning on the lights. Be the first one to come into Shul. Be the, among the first ten to make the Minyan. If there is a social event at the Shul, the Shul is setting up a, having a meal, then you prepare the meal. You set up the Kiddush. You see where I'm going? You give to community institutions that help the Klal. This does not absolve you of your responsibility as an individual. As an individual, you have to act as well. So your own personal, private davening as well. And even though there are all sorts of people in the world, there are people who don't want to have anything to do with a shul. They like just walking in, being part of a minion, saying what they have to do, and then they walk out at the end of davening, and they're not a member of a shul, and they have nothing, or even if they are a member, they, they, you know, they pay their dues, which is obviously part of being part of the tzibur. And there are other people who love helping out. In fact, they don't even like davening. Meaning, they'll daven, but I'm saying it's not a thing that they enjoy. So what do they do? They find many ways to contribute to the tzibur. They'll get new tablecloths, they'll buy new chairs. They can always be called upon if some donation has to be made to the uh, Shulni's new sidurim, new machzorim, and it's a wonderful thing. But what it is that the story in Rosh Hashanah of Chana and Eli teaches us, and what it is that the mitzvos that the mitzvah and the halachas of Tikiyah Shofar show us, is that we need to incorporate both. A little bit here or a lot there, but we need to think on both sides of the equation, both sides of the scale. As a yachid like Chana, and as a rabim and, a, and an active member of the tzibur and helper of the tzibur, the way that Eli HaKohen did. And with that, we can, we can hear the shofar as individuals and as members of the Jewish people and to finally have a shana tova umesuka where we're able to come together, not just as individuals davening in our homes, but coming back to our shuls and sharing socially and davening socially with our fellow Jews, which is something that people have forgotten a little bit. And rejoining and doing chesed for individuals and doing chesed for the community as well. I wish you all a Shana Tova Masuka and a Gemar Chasima Tova.